Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, I'm Jack Ricks, Top Gear Magazine's editor, joined as ever by Rowan Horncastle. Hello. TG's head of content. And this episode, it's a Ferrari 75th anniversary special, which is pretty exciting. So we're talking about the top five Ferraris ever breaking a lap record at Fiorano and also why petrol is so expensive. But first, Rowan, what have you been thinking about? Eyelids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. On that point, did you see the thing that went viral on our new TikTok channel the other day? No, I didn't. Many things. Well, they were both actually. They were... Oh, actually, I did. It was the video that I filmed myself, wasn't yeah, it? You were the, yeah, you were the creator of a viral sensation. Editor slash videographer, I think should be my Slash email. viral sensation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to tell people, what was this? What was well, it? no, you tell it. You filmed it. Oh, I don't I, take I, any so, credit for so it. So the new Daytona SP3 has a very cool feature. As a nod to pop-up headlights from the past, it's got... I can only describe them as retractable eyelids. So when you put the main beams on with the headlights, these panels slide back into the bodywork. But what's interesting about them is when they're down, it makes the car look kind of sleepy, kind of dozy, and then you peel them back and it's bright-eyed and it's ready to drive. It's had a Red Bull. That, or exactly any other that. energy drink or something, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever caffeinated uh, exactly. substance so, you would so enjoy. Do you like them? You into them? I, I think they're in. Yeah, I do. I think they're interesting. And everyone bangs on about pop-up headlights the whole time. I don't really get that. Yeah, they're cool, but it's just it's just get a headlight out. on actuators. It, get you, out! You don't like pop-up headlights? I don't mind them, but I don't think they're, <laughs> they're the, the, the best. The, thing the ever. best. Yeah, the best thing ever. I don't think they're the best <laughs> thing ever. Have you ever had an ice cream? That's the best thing ever. Yeah, anyway, no, point. but it just got me thinking, you know, cars with human attributes to them. Do you remember that BMW Gina concept which had skin? I remember it And well. things could breathe. I mean, all... you say skin, it was basically sort of like moving tent poles with kind of latex, sort of spandex stretched over the top of it, wasn't it? It was. It was before everyone wore leggings everywhere. It was like, <laughs> the, it, was, it was the first car to be weird no, in Lululemon cool. leggings. It was a shapeshifter, wasn't it? No, but should cars have more human attributes? Was that a bit weird? Because we see all that, you know, headlights being eyes, grills being teeth, etc. Speaks about the new M3, M4. Mm. But the, uh, you know, is it a bit weird when they get a bit human? Because this I, animatronic kind of eyelid is a bit bizarre at the same time. Yeah, I've heard people, I've heard designers talk a lot about, uh, you know, you, you pitch your car. Do you want it to be aggressive and angry and scowling at you? Or do you want it to be friendly? A lot of the Japanese K cars seem to have these very friendly, kind of cheeky, wide-eyed looks because they want to uh, appeal to people in that way. Essentially what you're saying, Rowan, is you want cars to sort of look and behave and have the mannerisms of human beings more? Well, I don't think it's a bit bizarre. When I was in China <laughs> before COVID, thankfully, the, um, I, had the, I was testing one of those Neos, which had its own personal butler in it called, uh, what was her name? I can't remember the name. How rude is that? Is it? Is it, ne- it, was not, it wasn't Nemo. That was the fish. I got uh, Nomi. It was called Nomi. And you oh. say, hey, Nomi, like you say everything to all your smart device. And it, it's got eyes in the dashboard and it turns its head into a little robot. I thought that was bizarre. Everyone but then the whole car. Everyone that's listening to this in a Neo, by the way, the car just went completely mental. Hey, Nomi. Hey, Nomi. <laughs> I haven't seen you for a bit. You hope you're well. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, for the whole car to then be a bit more um, human and it's the way it functions and breathes and. Farts well, I've got an idea for you. Go on then. Just order an Uber, mate. They always come with a human being in the front. Smiley. I don't know, like friendly. talking to them. No, I hate talking to You're them. You're not a talker. Uh, not a talker whatsoever. Not Put t- it in the notes. T- depends what I mean. If I've had a couple of drinks, oh... I'm up for a chat. Are you? <laughs> yeah. I oh, know. All, in... all other times, earpods in. Earpods in. Yeah, yeah, or just yeah. put in the notes that you're deaf and you can't hear them anyway. So, yeah. yeah. No, I don't do that. Don't do that. But anyway, so talking about the uh, the Ferrari issue, there was we started with an easy question for someone we did nice and simple um you know ease ourselves in gently what are the top five ferrari road cars ever full stop yeah it would be easy if there were five ferraris to nail down but there was they've made quite a few more well a lot more than that well, there's been 75 years of this company isn't they producing producing road cars so and a lot of them are good as well so it makes <laughs> it right they're all rubbish but yeah yeah yeah, top five protons. Yeah, I'll whip that up for you in a couple of minutes. Um, Luckily, we weren't the people who were, you know, had to, to whistle it down. There was a man called Jason Barlow who knows a lot about he, Ferrari. He is our secret Ferrari weapon. Should we get him on? Yeah, let's get him on. Jason, uh, Ferrari, have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, cafe somewhere in, uh, where is it? The, the Barbican, near the Barbican, I think, the Ferrari Cafe. It's actually... 
I discovered uh, it's quite a common surname in Italy. It's not it's not quite uh, you know Smith or Jones in, in the English language, but I think Ferrari is 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 quite quite common in Italy. There's that character on Eurotrash, if you remember that program. <laughs> Do you remember Lolo I'm not sure Ferrari? how much further we should go down this line. <laughs> well, of conversation. I'm, not, I'm just saying she had Ferrari as a surname, Rowan. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, yeah. I remember Eurotrash, but I don't remember it. what what Rowan. You you you're a man who definitely would have watched Eurotrash back in the day. What did Mr. Ferrari do in Eurotrash? Uh, well, no, it was Mrs. Know. It was Mrs. Oh, Ferrari actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not go there. This, no, is, this is a family friendly yeah, show. Let's go back to Enzo Ferrari, shall we? That's the one who did have it as a surname. Name and he built some cars, I believe. He did. So, Jason, we gave you the unenviable task of picking mm. the five greatest Ferrari road cars ever and the five greatest Ferrari race cars ever as part of our 75 years of Ferrari celebrations in the latest issue. Um, and yeah, how, how was that as a task? Well, it, it, as you said, uh, it, it was tricky. Um, and in fact, I ran the list past. A colleague. I'm actually, I should say, I'm in a hotel room um, by the Nurburgring at the moment on a secret mission, um, for possibly Ferrari related. But um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, so if you hear any noise, you will definitely hear some screaming engines. I mean, probably uh, a 1992 Honda Civic or something with a dustbin-sized exhaust. But anyway, I'm with a colleague, and um, he said, "Oh, that sounds interesting. What did you choose?" And and I think I got. Yeah, I mentioned. Well, I don't know. We should go through the list, but immediately I was plunged into the inevitable controversy because Ferrari built an enormous number of, of road cars uh, and, and a lot of them are very, very good indeed. So it's extremely difficult to distill it down into five, you know, five cars out of 75. It was hard, Jack. Thank you for that. Task. Thank you. It's difficult. <laughs> was there one that sp- like sprung out straight and you go, bang, that's on the list? Yeah. Was that where you started or did you whistle them down? Let's go, let's go road cars first. Road yeah. cars first. Yeah, I guess there was, Rowan. Um, the F40, I think, uh, it pretty much. I mean, I've been lucky enough to drive an F40 and... Yeah. I mean, look, it, it depends, you know, a lot. It depends with a lot of a lot of the love for any car brand, I think. Um, we, you know, we're seeing, a, I, I've been in this job for quite a while. Um, I'm not going to say how many years, but, you know, and I'm, I'm all, at, at this, that now in 2022, there's a lot of stuff from the early 90s that's really starting to, to come up, you know, because people who were reading car magazines and dreaming about things when they were 10 are now, of have disposable income and, and, and are of an age to buy these cars. So, the, as you guys know, you know different things happen at different generations, and and consequently, I think when you go right back to the start with Ferrari, I'm, you know, you, you do have to be a bit grizzled and a bit a bit old and beardy, I think, to kind of really <laughs> know a huge amount about the stuff in the fifties, unless you're a real Ferrari nerd. But most of the go 50- on then. <laughs> well, you, you you did you did you started in the fifties with the Ferrari two fifty GT California Spider. I did so nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, and the the you, you, the two fifty bloodline is the foundation, uh, the keystone of all Ferrari road cars, really. And so it, it, most of the car uh, cars, if not all of them, in the fifties were two fifties. I mean, uh, the other thing I should point out is that navigating your way through the Ferrari kind of history and mythology is. It's quite an it is quite a demanding task. You know, there are people out there, historians who have pretty much devoted their their lives to charting the ups and downs of this. And we gave you, Jason, what 175 yeah, words to yeah. describe. Not even that, Jack. <laughs> 100, 150 per car. Um, but yeah, the 250 bloodline is that. That's the yeah, that's the foundation. So on that basis, it was like, okay, which which road car should I choose? And there were quite a few that I could have chosen, but I think the Cali Spider. Uh, it's it's a it's a very glamorous car. I mean, it was it was built uh, it, primarily by that stage in the late fifties, fifty seven, I think it first appeared. Um, a lot of Ferraris were being bought by the showbiz elite. The kind of there was a ri- rising kind of uh, I don't know generation in Hollywood, and a lot of those guys, James Coburn had one, William Holden, a lot a lot of. Um, Hollywood sort of icons in the 50s. Ferris Bueller. Well, we, I was going to get onto that because that, that's an interesting point. You know, that most of us, I think, certainly people of a certain age, you know, if you're under the age of, you know, 95, uh, you think of the of the Ferris Bueller car. But actually, the Cali Spider was was dreamt up by a guy called John von Neumann, who was Ferrari's US West Coast guy. There's another chap in the Ferrari history called Luigi Chinetti, who's absolutely core to the Ferrari story. Chinetti, amongst other things, won Le Mans. 
took Ferrari's first Le Mans win in 1949 in a 166mm Barchetta. Um, he he is was a fantastic character, great driver, a very close confidant uh, of Enzo Ferrari, someone that Enzo trusted, and Enzo didn't trust that many people. Um, yeah. Anyway, Kennedy moved to New York and was was instrumental in in bringing Ferrari into North America. And Von Neumann was the guy on the West Coast, and they basically said, "Look, let's build a car for these guys, uh, a convertible." That's why it ended up being called California Spider, either with an I or a Y. I've never understood. I've tried <laughs> to get to the bottom of whether it's a Y or an I in Spider. You well, see- I was just saying you've got a, you've got a fifty fifty chance, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly. And flip you see a coin, both. Flip you a see both. Uh, yeah. So, so and speaking, they, and- you know, they built built one hundred and six of them. They raced it successfully. I've driven driven a couple, and. It's as good as this is. This is one of the amazing things about Ferraris. You, you think you know the whole thing about never meet your heroes or whatever. Actually, I've driven quite a few fifties Ferraris, and they are sensational. They really are. And the two fifty, it was a long wheelbase California Spider I drove, um, not in California, sadly. But you just go, yeah, this, this, I get it. I totally get it. You know, it's not even that powerful. I think two eighty horsepower, three liter V twelve, designed by Giacchino Colombo. It's a very famous engine. Um, it's just beautiful. And then, yeah, Ferris Bueller stole one off his, off his mate in that 86 John Hughes directed Brat Pack classic. And had that, that film, I love movies as you guys know as well. And I love that film. Um, and, and a whole new generation got turned onto that car because of that. But the, movie. You know, Ferrari famous Italian brand next on your list, another place in America, yeah. Daytona, <laughs> which I've got to admit the, uh, 1968, Daytona is a car I've never really got. I love, yes, it was the template for that front engine V12 kind of GT Playboy look, mm. which I love now, the modern stuff. But the Daytona, I've never really got on with it as much as people like you seem to wax lyrical well, about. it's interesting you, you say that, Rowan, although I know you well, and, and I know that you usually like to go your own way on these things and, you know, <laughs> swim against the tide. Where Basically, Regionally like Rowan, you're difficult, so it doesn't count. <laughs> Something like that. Um, I love him, love him to bits. Uh, yeah, though, funnily enough, the guy that I ran the list through, and um, when we got to that car, he went, "What?" And he, he said, "Have you ever driven one?" I went, "Well, yeah, but not not far." And he went, "You included a Daytona on the list, and you and 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 you've driven it." So yeah, it was a bit of a controversial choice. I mean, really, what I was trying to do there was it, it capture the '60s uh, mm-hmm. in, in in a car. And it's yes, it's it's known to be rather heavy and truculent to drive, but the 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 reason why I really included it is Leonardo Fioravanti, who was a young uh, designer at Pininfarina at the time. I think he reset the kind of idiom for automotive design with that car. If you look at its predecessor, the two seven five GTB, which was beautiful, um, you kind of think that was almost a hangover from the fifties. The Daytona or 365 GTB4, as as it's officially known, you know, suddenly it was we're going to the, we're going into the future. You know, it looked incredible. It had that fantastic sharky nose, that long the long bonnet. Um, it did, that suede the, the sort of swage line. I think that black sort of line that runs down the side, which then informed a lot of Ferraris to come. It felt to me like the big reset. Um, design-wise, if not in terms of the technology. And it's interesting, actually, because we spoke, uh, when, when we first saw this list, we kind of debated it a bit, and we, we spoke about the kind of modern, I don't want to give too much away, I'll, I'll just give it away, shall I? The, <laughs> the next three cars are, are, are <laughs> mid-engine, so we got F40, 458 Speciale, and then the 296 GTB. So we'll, we'll chat about those a bit, but, you know, we were saying, oh, is there a modern, you know, should, should you have an F12 in there, or you were saying a, um, uh, an F12 TDF or an 812 Comp, and all these incredible front-engine V12 cars that they've introduced in, in, in recent years. Um, but we sort of, yeah, we came to the conclusion that actually the mid-engine cars were where the, 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 the really special sort of technological leaps or milestones were. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, I think... It, Look, there are people who, there are wealthy people out there who will, I know a guy or met a guy who basically wanted the last car off the line and, and he, and he owns a lot of the last of that model off the line. There's a, there's an owner in America who, I think it might be the same guy. I think it's the last car off the line and they also have to be yellow. There are people who are strict adherents to the, the front engine Ferrari kind of typology. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a mark that invites 
all sorts of kind of uh, commitments and, and curious, uh, you know, attachments in, in the people who buy the cars. Um, I love front engine V12 Ferraris. I, I just love, I love the sound of a V12 and the, the sensation. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, the cars you mentioned, the F12, Berlinetta, the 812, uh, the, the Competizione. I would big up the FF. I say I'm hankry for those. Oh, like I just think, I love it. I think yeah. that's a rock star's car. I do yeah. too. Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday, and this is the other thing that happens. Um, we're digressing slightly here, but that's okay. Um, you know, I, I, I did the launch of the FF in 2011, and they launched it in, on on the, in the Dolomites, and we drove it on snow. You know, and it, it actually works because it's got that ridiculously complicated all-wheel drive system with the power takeoff unit up front and the second gearbox. You know bonkers technical solution well you're going to get you're going to get a, a, a spiritual successor in in a way with the the purasang that's coming no that's this count, year. in my well, opinion but, uh, well, anyway. it's about as close We're, as you're it's as close as you're going to get to a, an ff successor i think yeah um yeah, so different. i'm just saying you know that yeah, as good no, as it gets, right? the, one of the other things that we've got on the next issue is our uh, i think our little our ferrari memories and um you know i think quite a few people obviously it's it's a rite of passage in in our business you know the first time i drove a ferrari and the first time you go to Maranello and I, I remember those things vividly but actually I, I thought do you know what I found myself between Luca de Montezemolo and Sir, the late Sergio Marchione at the Paris Motor Show I think in 2014 um, and there was a kind of Medici-like kind of moment this was when Marchione had depending on who you believe and what you want to believe basically you know knifed Montezemolo <laughs> and Montezemolo had I, I, I actually said to him I just said look I, thank you for everything you've done for Ferrari because he helped turn it around in the after the interregnum when Enzo Ferrari died in 1988. And I like Luca de Montezemolo. He was difficult to to work for by all accounts, but he had a, a clear vision for the company and and turned it around and, and helped, you know, brought Schumacher in and John Todd on the Formula One side. And there he was with his successor, you know, and I, I'm not kidding you. You know, at motor shows, the, when you go on the stand and you find yourself... The Ferrari stand is always that sort of, you know, you come in and they go, oh, have a drink, whatever. And, and, and by pure chance, I found myself literally standing between those two men and it was the passing of the, the baton, you know, and, 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 and Montezemolo got the, got the line in. He did, he was allowed to do his sort of address to the media and whoever else was there. And he, and he just sort of said, he wants to build a truck. And that was, his, that was, you know, and, and he, right. and he did. And, and, and we're about to get it. I think in the next about, couple of months, we're going to see the pure are. sign. Dear listeners, you are getting an insight into what happens in the Top Gear office here is where we mention Ferrari or a topic or whatever. And it's quite hard to get the toothpaste back in the tube. Once you've brought up <laughs> it, it is a bit. So, so let's I, refocus back onto I, the top oh, five. I've got a way of doing this. So I think. Sorry, you, am you, I wandering off, off topic too much? No, how dare you, Jason? How dare you tell I us these regale us with these about. Ferrari stories? No, it was, yeah, they just, are. They are. That, no, no, you know, I, it's I, about the people as well, you know. And, and I, I of think course, the, 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 yeah. Uh, very quickly, yes. I mean, you're right. We'll get back to the cars, but but it's more than any other company. I think who's the guy who's whoever's running it have they have the opportunity to impose a powerful personality on the products. You know, and it doesn't always happen. And we had we had Camilleri for a couple of years, and although I think the Pura Sang was signed off by him and the Daytona SP3, which you drove in the new for the new issue, Jack. But I did. Um, yeah, you know, Montezemolo in particular and Marchione were two huge egos and personalities, and it's it's it was very interesting and enlightening to be so close to it. At well, a they're pivotal, probably Jason. They're probably still talking about the day they met you at the at this motor show. <laughs> well, Marchione isn't, unless he's having that chat with someone in in, in heaven, course, if that's where he went. But anyway, yeah. do you want to, let's get back <laughs> so to the cars. Um, the cars, right? So, okay. so, so F forty, you came in. That was your that was your obvious number one choice. I think next on the list, the four five eight Speciale. I don't want to dwell on that because I think we can all agree that is a you know the the, the final naturally aspirated V8 mid engine Ferrari. It's sensational. It's been written about a lot. I think the controversial one here is our final choice. Your mm. final choice. Our final choice. The two nine six GTB. So to put it in a top five list, but it's only just been launched. So I I, I think it's worth exploring why that V6 hybrid uh, mid engined baby Ferrari belongs in there well i i think uh, yes perhaps we're being a little bit provocative a bit mischievous in in including it. i i did the launch of that car in february i think at monte bianco or blanco that's a track was, in yeah. spain and followed mark Genet, you know uh, another little insight for the listeners on, on launches 
sometimes you're just let loose on a circuit, but sometimes you, you know, there may be you and another person in another car and you follow a pro driver around. And Mark Ducks Jeanette, and Drakes, they call it. Ducks and Drakes, that's it. And I remember doing a Mercedes one and trying to keep up with the great Bern Schneider and he just, you know, I was getting off into the distance. And that was in the Circuit of the Americas. <laughs> Mark Genet is, is a truly lovely man and, and really good at, he's, you know, I don't know how they do it, but they look in their mirrors and they kind of, you know, they can see if they're at one end of the straight and that you're at the other, then clearly you're not going to, you're not keeping up, but <laughs> they, they adjust their pace according to the ability of whoever's behind them. And the thing was in the 296 GTB, I mean, I, I remember thinking, my goodness, this this is this is one of the best Ferraris I've ever driven, and, mm. and I've been lucky enough to drive a lot of Ferraris. It's it's so good. Well, I think so Ollie good. Ollie Marriage definitely concurs. He he came back. It's one of the rare cars he gave ten out of ten uh, yeah. with his with his full review on on TopGear.com. He was just like they've 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 nailed it. It's it's hybrid that's entirely there to enhance the experience. Yep. You know, the car didn't doesn't feel heavy. There's no uh, there's no lag anywhere. No. Nope. Um, and it's got all that mid-engine Ferrari magic. Because so. on the 812 competition, the competition, competition sorry, so there's Google Translate in my head going on there. <laughs> but the uh, no, I, we had dinner with Rafa, the test driver, and he said, wait until the 296. The, the smile on his face, I think it is just so playful and fun, which those modern mid-engine cars are, the 488 especially, yeah. Yeah. And, the, and the Pista, and it came all about off the back of the 458 Speciali. That's when yeah. the electronics came to the fold, and the Ferrari became really fun. Fun. And he said, "This one just dances." And seeing some of the, some of the photography and video that came off the back of the two nine six launch, yeah. it yeah. just looks like something you just play with. It's it, it yeah. Well, totally. As you guys know, the the side slip control software or whatever they've 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 become exceptionally good at, at the the software. It's all proprietary software. I don't pretend to know how any of that stuff works, and I don't, I don't even particularly like it. I I I prefer to basically you know I like a car to be quite analog, really. But one of the things that most impressed me about the 296 was just how harmonious the the, the hybrid. The, the, they call they use a thing called a transition manager actuator. Ferrari are great, uh, you know, not very catchy kind of um, you know abbreviations <laughs> of these things. But whatever the hell it does, as you say, it's it's a hybrid car that you don't you, you know you don't. It doesn't feel like you're in a hybrid. At no point are you kind of thinking, "Oh, okay, I can feel that." Okay, there's something happening. It's just totally harmonious, and then you can work through the Manatino and, and eventually turn everything off. And and it, and it it is. It's if you're a reasonably competent driver, it's in fact you don't even need to be competent. You can be a <laughs> in no way competent driver. You're you. in. You're in. It'll, well, Jason, look, honestly, we could talk about uh, we could talk about Ferraris for about the next six months. I think. Non-stop. I think it's a whole episode in itself. It's a whole episode do, in yeah. itself. And um, what we're going to do is we're, we're not going to tell the to tell the listeners back at home what your top five race cars are. For that, you're going to have to buy a copy of the magazine. You tease. And there's there's I know. You see, well, I'm a salesman. Um, <laughs> but there's so much other Ferrari content. You talked about the people there. We name the sort of the powerhouses behind the, the, the this company and so much more. So, um, yeah, there we go. We've given you some of it, but not all of it. And, yeah. There fast- are many, many pages many, to be many read pages. about Ferrari. And, and they're look, all fascinating. We gave you more than 150 words there, didn't we, Jason? What, on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Undoubtedly. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wasn't keeping count, but I'm pretty sure. Anyway, let, I can't ask you something well, now, uh, now that I've got you. Why Are not? you allowed to talk about the Daytona SP3 that you drove? Yeah, I, 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 we're actually, <laughs> we've got a new section uh, in the podcast, which we call Controversial Question. Um, can you guess what it's about? So this uh, on this podcast, we wanted to ask the question, is the new limited edition one of 599, uh, the latest Icona model this is, Daytona SBC, is it fugly? Now, the <laughs> We've reason... We've got the man in the room to be able to actually to, exactly. to, to be able to well, break I'll this one down. I'll give you my, you know, uh, my input to begin with. When I saw pictures, you know, we, we often get pictures early yep. under embargo from the manufacturer. Um, if we're all sitting around in the office, we get them up on a laptop and we all crowd around to give our sort of knee-jerk reactions. And it wasn't great, to be honest. It, it was a bit bit messy, a bit overstyled, too many competing design cues going on there. And then I went on the uh, the launch to, to, to drive it in Belgium. And uh, yeah, I was floored by it in the, in the, in the flesh. I still think it's a bit busy. Um, 
Belgium. Why were you in Belgium, Jack? But well, we got to drive it around Spa. Oh, that's terrible. That must have been awfully oh, difficult. Oh, flat out. Fast, fast yeah, yeah, yeah. F1 but you haven't GP heard the full circuit. story. No, uh, no, no. Yeah, the ultimate track for taking a car to the ragged edge, and we were limited to seventy kilometers an hour. Yeah, I, I mean, th- this is probably you can cut this bit out, but obviously, I'm here at the Nurburgring, and there, there are three SP3s on the circuit, and Rafa, Rafa's here. Uh, and he'll be with me when I head out onto the track after recording this. And we're limited to 70 kilometers, 43 miles per hour at the Norwich Life. There we go. I mean, well, we're not going to cut this out, listeners, because this is all the good stuff that you come <laughs> for. So, yeah. But uh, it, we're not going to get in trouble because this is coming out in a, at a later date. But, yeah, so, go on. Anyway, break it down. Answer yeah. the question, Design Jason. Wise, um, is it fugly? No, absolutely not. No. Uh, and I think when you when you see it, I, I studied it. I was shooting with it last night until late at night. We had lights on it. Um, all sorts of things going on. And I, I, every time I took a, another shot of it on my iPhone, uh, it, I, I was like, wow, there's, there's another, it's going to sound terribly kind of highfalutin here, but another piece of visual information was kind of volunteered by the car. Basically, I, I think it looks amazing. Well, I think the front end, the front, front end, end is salvaged. The front, there's, a, there's a, couple of, a couple of little areas. I think, I think it was the 206 SP, Dino 206 SP, which was, the the car in my head was yellow. It was a, a race car from '66, I think, or '67, and it looks a bit a bit like that. The the rear of it, every you know, Manzoni, Flavio Manzoni, the chief design officer, he loves the 330 P34, as most right thinking people should. Uh, that was the car <laughs> that. Well, it was two of those and the 412P that won in Daytona, 1967. A uh, bit of revenge for the ride at Le Mans the previous year. The yeah. answer, the Hence Ford the name. GT4, exactly. And the, the Daytona name, the three, the, the Daytona was never officially called Daytona. It's three six five GTB four, um, but everyone calls it Daytona, and it was a name a journalist ascribed to to kind of commemorate that win. Um, anyway, yeah, no, there's uh, the the rear. I mean, the rear, and especially when you see it at night, you know, the as you guys know. Um, the advances in LEDs and all the the, the lighting, te- a lot of the look of of contemporary cars is down to what what they're doing with the the lights and the rear of that. I think I look like a spaceship. I mean, I just thought yeah. this is phenomenal. This thing is it pretty? No, no, probably not. And I, I'm I'm not sure that many contemporary Ferraris are beautiful in the way that a lot of the '50s cars are. But it depends. That's it. Another debate, you know, should a Ferrari be beautiful? Should, you know, should uh, Rowan and I have talked about the BMW iX, which is clearly a deeply challenging looking car. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not, I don't think there was any ambition there for it to be beautiful or pretty, but there certainly was for it to be interesting and dramatic and different. Um, no, the SP3, I, look, all I can say is on the, on the rare occasions that any of us are going to see one in the wild, we're, we're, we're yeah, we'll be too busy kind of, lifting our slack jaws back into place to worry about whether it's fugly or not and actually jason we've we've already done the acid test which was um we uploaded a uh, a video that i took on my iphone of the sp3 parked up at a completely nondescript um petrol station somewhere in belgium and i literally just walked around it with a wobbly camera stuck that on our new tiktok channel and it's done four and a half million views You're joking. so that's extraordinary no, no, so, and it's it's the most basic just look at the styling. Yeah. So I think the people have spoken and they say, uh, maybe not the most beautiful thing, but they're yeah. interesting. Their eyes are interesting. It's, yeah. it's hugely dramatic, huge presence. Uh, and actually, when the, the, to, to, to be a bit more technical about it, the, the surfacing on it, particularly around the doors, I, I, I actually don't know how they... I mean, I, I was talking to one of the guys involved and I said, the, the, the manufacturing is all carbon fibre. It's like... When they, when the design was presented to the, the the technical guys, the engineers, and the people who actually have to build it, they must have you know had had heart attacks. It's like <laughs> how are we going to? Because that, that's another thing that people don't really probably because I'm not desperately interesting. But you know, if you look at the new Range Rover, for example, there's some the reason why the the rear three quarters of that are so spectacular is because there were there've been a lot of advances in the last five years in stamping and pressing the machinery that actually manufactures the body panels. Um, that that's that's something bear that in mind whenever you're you know doing a design critique in a car and i think on the sp3 yeah this well it's it's hugely uh dramatic so, and, and, so there we go yeah so there we go that is the, the that is our controversial question answered the daytona sp3 is not fugly it's interesting it's interesting yeah. and uh but um jason that's all we got time for so we're gonna have to say goodbye now but uh 
Thank you so much. Uh, get out there on the ring and enjoy the what, Daytona. Driving at 43 miles per hour? Yeah. <laughs> I, did a bit more than, I, I did a bit more than 43 miles per hour yesterday, but I can't really talk about that. Same here. I got some time on the road, and so it, it was all good. But um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're going to have a good day. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. Nice to see you. Right, uh, I think it's time we got uh, Paul Horolon for his uh, monthly grilling, isn't it? I think definitely. After all that, that Ferrari information, I need something else to go. Into After my brain. Ferrari overload, we need a bit of Horrell. So just to remind you, Horrell uh, is the car journalist with the biggest brain in the industry, and we give him sixty seconds and a completely blind topic that he's genuinely never heard before. Sixty seconds to explain a very complicated concept. Now, Rowan, have you got your timer on your phone? Because no, I'm going to is... do it now. But I know Paul probably has his uh, chair. Chirpy, chirpy alarms go off. Paul will have his cuckoo clock, his watch, everything set. Oh, he's here. Actually, we should probably say hi to Paul. Hi, Paul. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that's right. I haven't said the phantom representative. It's genuine me. (laughs) It's him. He is there. Okay. Um, Right. Rowan, you're going to introduce the topic. Paul, are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah, he's ready. He, was, he had to think about that one. So, yeah. oh, right, yeah. brain, brain's not up to speed. There's well, a bit no, of a delay. I never bit know what you're going to say. Bit of turbo lag there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can see the boost is. We're, we're in full boost now. Anyway, Paul, this is quite topical because a lot of people are concerned about this currently. But here is your topic for today and the question: Why is fuel so expensive? Go. Uh, interestingly, fuel uh, we don't pay. Uh, the direct price that it costs. We pay the direct price that it costs plus an awful lot of tax. Um, at sometimes that tax and duty goes up to something like 400%. Now, part of that component is duty, um, which is a fixed amount per litre. Part of that component is VAT, which is proportional to the basic price um, of, the, of the underlying commodity. Uh, that's why, actually, in America, they are much more susceptible to price spikes in fuel than we are, because the price can double or triple uh, almost overnight, whereas in Britain, it just kind of goes up. And it seems a lot that the amount that goes up and down by, but as a proportion, it's not that great. Anyway, why are we paying a lot? Because uh, all energy has become very expensive because of the war in Ukraine. That's basically the reason. Also, oil was in huge oversupply when people weren't using it in the pandemic, but now it isn't. It's being used up and we're running out. 60 seconds, bang on. Actually, yeah, I think you had a second left there, Paul. Do you want to use that final second to add anything? No. (laughs) No, 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 you've done it. (laughs) (laughs) You've emptied the entire content. We've emptied the tank, literally. That's right, I'm running on fumes. Yeah, well, you haven't made us feel any better about petrol prices, but maybe you've shone a little bit of light there on on why we're paying, you know, two quid a litre. How much is petrol? What, like the, if I I got it out of the ground myself. What, minus how, duty, minus yeah, all VAT. that stuff. Yeah, how much is that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it just cost me an email sent off to the BBC Top Gear Expenses Department. You know, <laughs> 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 yeah. um, no, uh, it is. Um, oh God, I can't remember. I think it's about a sixth of, of, the, of the of the actual pump price. But you know, there's refining, there's distribution, there's all of that. I mean, even the even even the um, actual energy that goes into uh, refining and distributing the fuel is, is very significant, um, which is why even though you think your car might do 100 grams of CO2 per, per kilometre, it's actually doing 115 in the sense of that's the amount of oil that comes out of the ground because 15, 15 grams is sent up into the air by the truck that drives the or petrol from the refinery to you and indeed by the refining process itself. Yeah, so I, I also think if you're finding... The price of petrol too much at the moment. You need to do what Paul Hole's done, which is stick some solar panels on his roof, which he was just telling us about. Drive an electric car, and you're pulling down ten kilowatt hours a day, which yeah, in June stuns Rowan and I. Yeah, no, that would drive me about thirty-five miles, something like that. It'd drive me less. <laughs> yeah, I'd get, I won't get as far as Paul. Yeah, but yeah, a burnout, end of the road. Uh, JT. But this yeah, is what I'm, no, I'm Pull I'm some con- donuts. Pull some ecologically sound donuts by <laughs> yeah. powering so them. Solar powered donuts. Yeah. But that is why I'm, I'm currently living Fev Life for the first time of plugging in every night to go a short distance. Sorry, Fev Life, it, Bentley. 
Yeah, we didn't need to say that. Yeah, it's a Bentley small Fev start. Life. Yeah. It's just different. It's to a Bentayga hybrid Fev that life. yeah, you may be able yeah. to read about on TalkGear.com and in the back of the magazine. But I you know, save. have to ease myself into it. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. It's not but, though. It's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I basically don't do any short journeys. I either do a long journey or I ride a bike or take the bus because I'm I live in central London. And so having a plug-in hybrid for me is so super pointless because I have to go and find a lamppost just to drive you know and muck around for 10 minutes ju- just no, but, to be able to drive 20 miles no but basically what you're pulling from your your roof each day is how far is the free charge in the bentley for 27 miles i could get on that yeah from yeah. from which we, you don't you don't when you're just sloshing petrol into your car you don't really realize how far no. it takes you they but, are um, solar powered bentley is there such a thing as champagne environmentalism I'm going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of Rowan's next long-term report. Um, all right, Paul, that's been fantastic once again. Um, very You've been insightful a pleasure as well. Indeed. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I didn't say you are a pleasure. I said it's been very insightful. <laughs> all right, we'll see you next month. Lovely. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Hope the sun's still shining then on your roof. Thank you. Bye. Paul Hole, ladies and gentlemen. Right, what else is going on in this issue, Rowan? Lots. Like we said, there's lots of Ferrari stuff, but there's more than just Ferrari stuff because what have we got right here? Oh, the new Hyundai... This was a bit of a surprise. The Hyundai Envision 74. Kind of forgot the name there. Or Vision N. I'm not sure. Anyway, it is by far the coolest concept car we've seen all year. It's kind of got DeLorean vibes going on. It's actually uh, powered by a hydrogen fuel cell that charges up the batteries, um, so it's got yeah lots and lots of horsepower, but just looks insane. Hyundai again after a slight fumble with the Ionic Six recently, which we're all coming around to actually. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean the backstory of that car being this sort of streamliner inspired by the '30s, blah blah blah. Yeah, it's kind of working on me, but this thing is just you can't argue with it. It looks epic. Um, I well, let's talk about what, something that I've done now. No, I went to I went <sighs> again. to. Very early access to, I think I was the first person outside Porsche to drive the new 992 Sport Classic, mm-hmm. which follows on from the 997.2 Sport Classic, which was kind of that amalgamation of kind of greatest hits uh, and the best parts of, of retro Porsches together. But now, from a turbo's body, a turbo's body, turbo engine, manual gearbox, it's and rear wheel drive. Yeah. It's quite a juicy thing, and yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it, it looks quite good. Is it wrong that I I quite like that all that gold badging that's all over it? It's um which they which the PR teams and people haven't said, but it's actual genuine gold. So if you see one and there's a cost <laughs> of living crisis, if you it's like those um, the Polestar uh, dust caps which will going to go yeah. will go missing straight away because they're gold. But yeah, all the badging is seven kilos of the stuff that Porsche had to buy for all the badging. It's three hundred quid a car in uh, in gold. Well, that says a lot about this car, isn't it? It's 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 not an RS model that's about saving every gram. This is more about the kind of retro feel and the experience. It's the a, it is a great thing to do. Lots of mileage in which we did went across uh, Switzerland and then to Lake Como to go meet loads of one-off specialist Porsches, amazing nine five nines and other bits and pieces. Sounds like there's some cool bits there, but some taste vacuums as well. Some sort of Orange on orange on orange and purple on purple. Yeah, it's on purple. people with lots and lots of money being able to spec whatever they want, which also adds to you know dangerous combinations of yeah. colours and materials. And they stuff. say money can't buy taste, and Rowan's written a feature that proves it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what else have we got? We got uh, so the new Honda Civic Type R. Yes, ah, oh. I mean there's been a bit of a lack of hot hatches recently, but then. If you could choose one to be back in the mix, it's a Civic Type R. Such an animal. Front-wheel drive. Kind of very similar um, format to the last car, which is, yeah, still front-wheel drive, still manual, still two-litre turbocharged engine. But whereas the other one looked like it had been designed by a three-year-old with a crayon, uh, this one's a bit more grown up. Mm. Yeah, it's matured. And finally, well, not finally, there's lots of other things, but out of the big features... uh, which we're not going to talk about on the podcast, is Ollie Marriage went and just had the, uh, the the selfish day of dreams, basically, putting a BAC Mono R, that's the new one with a bazooka on the side of it, mm-hmm. against a BMW M1000RR, so BMW's first M motorbike. the far, One of the fastest road bikes that you can get against one of the fastest uh, road-slash-track you know, cars that you and can get. And with a British Superbikes rider on top of it, uh, yeah. who was just drifting it, 
around every single corner. I've never seen a, a, a twin bike and a single seat car drift. And oh. yeah, when you have a very fast car driver against a very fast uh, bike rider, the the tire the, the tire marks that were being left around Anglesey were impressive. So yeah, pick that one up. It's uh, pretty pretty bonkers. But those are the ones we wanted to skip over. Which are the one? What's the one we really want to dig into and talk about? Well, our you know resident Stasso has been to Italy, part of the Ferrari issue. Because are you aware of this you know new trend of mini mini electric cars? Yeah, the the little car company, right? Yeah, they do very very expensive to some people toy cars, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when they cost a hundred thousand pounds and they're based off some of the most beautiful cars ever. So this was a two fifty TR. Um, he thought, oh, let's go take that to the home of Ferrari Speed, Fiorano, because. He's a very clever man. He th- there hasn't actually been an electric car record at Fiorano, so he wanted to set it. Let's not give too much away. Let's get Ollie on. Yeah, he can tell us all about it. Is that Ollie Q? I, that is Ollie Q. The new... Are you a record holder or are you not a record holder? How's this going down? What do I call you now? I'm the new... I'm the Fiorano electric all-time lap record holder, Rowan. That's now my full title. Congratulations. I hope that you have that in your email signature and other places. I'm not sure Ferrari would allow me to license that. But yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Fiorano is Ferrari's home track. It's bang outside the factory. It's where they set up all the race cars, the road cars, their Le Mans stuff. And there had never been an electric lap record until, well, we were doing a ferrari special issue of the magazine weren't we chaps and um it seemed like a gap in the market <laughs> it did um i imagine uh, getting some track time at fiorano it's not as easy as uh, phoning up and booking a few hours is it would you believe it no um yeah so <laughs> if if the the motto is the, of the top gear magazine podcast is it not is the, um the stories behind the stories well the story behind this story is eight months of backwards and forwards with some very very serious italians because fiorano is yeah, it's a working, not a racetrack, it's a test track. It's got sensors embedded in the tarmac. You know, they've got CCTV on every corner to to monitor lap times and performance and different setups. They told me, Ferrari, that Fiorano is booked up to a year in advance. So when some oik rings up and goes, I've got a toy Ferrari that I think could set a lap record, could you let me on? It um yeah, it takes a little bit of um of greasing to get the Italians. <laughs> well you to, jumped uh, the queue there, Ollie. You, you jumped in. the queue. You got in in eight months. Nice work. Um you, and so but this isn't any old toy Ferrari, is it? This isn't the um the sort of fifty quid job you get from Toys R Us. This is something a bit special uh, and also scaled down. Uh, yeah. In fact, it fits adults. It is. It's the real deal. It's the car for big kids. So this is something by the Little Car Company, and they're an outfit based in Oxfordshire, and they've been knocking around a few years now creating all-electric homages, scaled-down homages, as you say, to, to classic cars. They've done a, a teeny little Bugatti Type 35 pre-war racer. They did an Aston Martin DB5 with Bond gadgets on it. And then um, they thought, we'll go for the big one. We'll go for a licensed, official Ferrari approved 250 Testarossa, the classic Le Mans and Sebring winner from the 50s. And um, yeah, normally Ferrari, as you as you alluded to there, Jack, they don't like anyone building replicas of their stuff. You know, if you frankly, if you're a kid and you do a drawing of a Ferrari with a red crayon, they'll probably come and bang on your door and tell you to take it off the <laughs> Season fridge. Season So yeah, Ferrari don't like it if you draw anything with a prancing horse on it. So it is a testament to the work that the little car company does that not only were Ferrari super impressed and said, see, you may use our batch, but they even sent over, I don't know, faxed over, pigeon post, whatever the little car company use, the original blueprint drawings of the 250 so they could make oh. sure that the replica was just exactly to scale. And it is a 75% scale replica of a V12 classic with a 16 horsepower electric motor wait hold on a second but wasn't the 250 tr the most expensive car in the world at some point yeah well remembered 2009 so just as the backside had fallen out of the world economy not for billionaires it hadn't um one sold for 12 million dollars which is kind of quaint really because at the time that was the most expensive car ever sold at auction and there was awful lot of hand wringing and people saying oh that's too much will a car ever sell for that much money again and now 12 million quid is that's that's yeah, a, that's a decent Escort RS Turbo, isn't it? 
Yeah, exactly. That's a fast forward from the 80s. If you want a, a classic Ferrari, I think the number, it's like a 50 million entry price now. But there you go. That's the pedigree we're talking about. 250 Testarossa is one of the all-time great pedigree Ferrari. And is this a cheap one as well? Is it a cheap one? Uh, no, no, it's not. The thing is with the official Ferrari classification, and then to be fair to the little car company, the work they do, you know, hand beating the body out of aluminium, using all designer label stuff, Brembo brakes, Ibach springs, Pirelli tires, Barani wheels, even the leather on the seats comes from the same leather company that Ferrari used for their actual road cars. So it is £100,000. It's about £90,000 plus tax. So I thought you said £100,000. You must mean ten grand. No, someone on the YouTube comments did actually say that. I spotted that going, are you sure that the zero is in the right place? Can confirm it is £100,000 before options. And oh yes, just like real Ferraris, the options list is extensive and terrifying. Are you also sure about that 75% scale? 75% scale? Because... It looks much smaller than that. Was it how tiny was the original Testarossa? Because you know you're sitting in it, poking out of it in all directions. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it looks like a little toy car. You know, if you if you put a gun to my head, I'd say it's forty, fifty percent scale. Yeah, it's a funny optical illusion. Isn't it? I think you're right. I think because it is based on a car from a time when everything looked like a bit of a go kart anyway. But also maybe it's just. I'm a bit gangly. When I put an open-faced helmet on, I look like one of those kind of wibbly-wobbly head toys that people put on the parcel shelf of their car. And um, yeah, it's not its not a dignified way to travel. I think it is scaled for, you know, the billionaire son, you know, an heir to an empire somewhere. Actually, there was a hilarious picture, which is, I think, made it to the back of the mag in the behind-the-scenes page, which is the, our photographer, Dennis Noten, who is... Um, very Pocket lovely sized. man. Pocket sized. Lovely way of putting it. Sitting there trying to take a close up picture of the dash and he just fits perfectly. He just looks 100% scaled. <laughs> Job done. Yeah. Well, Sorry, this is Dennis. the thing. The little car company, I know, Dennis even said at the time, yeah, this fit is, is, they built a car for me. But this is the thing. The little car company originally did set out. I think they were going to do 50% scale rep because of everything. And the problem was, is that all the you know the rich folk who are spending 100 grand on these Bugattis and Astons and what have you, they said, well, it's all very well letting Junior have a go, but I want to drive it as well. Can you make them a bit bigger? Which is why they're now doing everything sized so that, um, yeah, overgrown children can fit in. So well. hold on a second. So let me get this right. We are now in the era of uh, Ferraris that can operate under electricity. Surely they've put a 296 around and done a lap of Fiorano. Or an SF90. Or an SF90, yes. Well, I did ask because I wanted to be sure. It would have been a pretty big egg on face moment if I'd got this you know 100 grand toy electric car shipped out to Fiorano done a lap and then they pointed out it wasn't even the quickest electric lap that week let alone in Fiorano's 50-year history but they insisted that they haven't done laps of the SF90 the 296 on all electric power because they insist that's not how those cars are meant to be driven you either use the electricity to go slowly you know nicking through town and leaving your house early in the morning without waking the neighbours or you use it to boost the engine. You never use the electric motor on its own to go quick. So that's why there is no all-electric lap of Fiorano. And as soon as I sussed that out, I thought, well, this is just begging to be done. Top Gear's got to be the first. There you go. So, all right. So uh, have you driven Fiorano before? Did you know the layout? I mean, you had 16 horsepower of pure (laughs) mayhem to unleash. I mean, you need to be careful. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a baptism of fire, particularly as it was a 40-degree day. I think it was they were saying it was the hottest day at Fiorano on record. But no, I had never, ever driven Fiorano, as you might be able to tell from my practice lap, where I do genuinely nearly shunt the car coming over the bridge. That's not done for the cameras. It's not done for a laugh. It's why I go a bit quiet and sort of cringe is because I thought that corner looks easy flat and as it understeered massively onto the curbs I thought maybe it's not but no I'd been watching a lot of um, previous Top Gear videos of when our colleagues have been out to Fiorano to test the latest cars going right it looks like it goes right first then left I'll try and remember that and then that was it it was one practice lap because we only had four hours on the circuit to get all of our photography all of our video get the practice laps in and the main the main timed lap it had to be you know what we call an out lap and then straight onto the flyer and you nailed it. Well, not quite. So <laughs> what you don't see on the video is we actually did have two goes at it. So I did an out lap and then a flyer. And my first ever lap of Fiorano was a two minute 29. But in the great spirit of Ferrari taking things way too seriously, when I got back to the pits, <laughs> some very handsome Italians were there <laughs> looking rather upset 
with the track temperature graphic going 62 degrees Celsius track. This is bad for the tyres. You need to wait till it cools down. And of course, I was saying, we don't really have the time, Signore. We have to sort of get this and go. Um, so then we they offered to lower the tyre pressures. And then we went out again. And because this time, obviously, much better setup and the fact that I knew my left from my right, um, managed to shave a whopping three seconds. I don't know if anyone ever, if Michael Schumacher ever managed to take three seconds off in his second lap. But yeah, so the official, official, semi, official <laughs> lap record for an electric Ferrari around Fierardo is now 2 minutes, 26.97 seconds. Oh, now do you think when Ferrari does its all-electric, its first all-electric car, let's call it, well, let's assume it's a supercar, might be a hypercar, who knows, in 2025, sorry, I think it might be in danger, Ollie. So yeah, you're yeah, on borrowed probably, time, mate. It won't be the, the longest lasting record but i don't think anyone ever remembers who's who's who, who holds it the longest i remember who held it the first and that's what i'm here for i'm here to i'm here to set the record it's like imagine being the guy who looked through the guinness book of records and went hang on there's no record for sitting in a bathtub of baked beans imagine being the first guy to do that you only had to do it for five minutes and you had the record so that's that's me get in get out job done and um, yeah, very pleased with it. A bit of fun, a bit of silliness. Obviously not in the slightest bit jealous that you drove the 2 million quid 800 horsepower Daytona and I had a 16 horsepower Mario Kart. But, you know, I know it's my place. Well, I think I got about the same amount of time with you. That was sort of six hours, with four hours on the road and a couple of low speed uh, and hang um, on. hours on the track. Weren't what? you limited to like 50 miles an hour? Yeah, yeah, 70, yeah, 50 miles an hour, 70 kilometers an hour. I actually drove my car faster than you. (laughs) And flat out. Skills. That is skills, to be honest. You took a Ferrari to the limit around Fiorano and lived to tell the tale. Yeah, I would highly commend anyone, please, yeah, check it out in the issue, read uh, read the feature there, and then go and watch the video. The video team had a bit of a day of it, particularly, you know, we stood in thorns, there were blood coming out of shoes there was sunstroke there was even a part where one of them where james was shooting the video that you can watch on youtube he was out getting shots by the side of the circuit and someone from ferrari came over and said i'll do be careful lots of snakes live at that corner and we thought what like you mean spies who you know look into the circuit no 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 actual snakes we don't think they're lethal though when they bite so and the most those are the lengths that we go to to bring you these, these films. Yeah. And the most dangerous part of all, of course, Ollie, that you're omitting here was that you turned up to Fiorano wearing shorts, which is oh, a big no-no. Well, yeah, I mean, Come that on. is the ultimate, the ultimate story behind the story. It very, very nearly didn't happen because there was a dress code at Fiorano that I was not made aware of, it being my first <laughs> time. Turned up wearing shorts because it was 40 degrees and... You know, there was, there was almost like a police SWAT team waiting to kick me out. I was... It was, it was made incredibly clear to me that I was not being politely asked if I wouldn't mind changing. I was yeah. being told, put jeans on or go to the airport. So uh, um, that's why the jeans, the, jeans, the jeans that I'm wearing in the film, all I can say is they weren't skinny jeans when I started, but they were by the <laughs> end of the day. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Right. Well, while we've um, got you, Ollie, should we have... Should we have a little go at our quiz, our regular quiz top nine? So just a little refresher. These are the top nine lists that Ollie writes in the mag and online every week and month and week, respectfully. Um, bringing together, well, increasingly random subjects and putting them into some vaguely coherent list. Um, so we get three guesses each, Rowan and I, to find out, to guess what's on Ollie's list. And then he explains why we're correct, but it's just not on the list. That's generally how it goes, isn't it, Ollie? What's our topic this month? Well, as I was waiting for my incredibly delayed late-running flight home from doing that Ferrari story and didn't get home until like 5 o'clock the following morning, I was thinking about travel chaos, how none of us can get a train these days or a flight or drive anywhere because it's all strikes and mayhem, isn't it? So then I was thinking of the top nine most delayed cars ever, the cars that have taken their sweet time getting from the concept stage to into buyer's hands can we start off jack do you want to go first with a heavily delayed wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute let's get the rules here are the winners on the gestation period of what has taken the longest or is it just cars that have taken a while it's just the most interesting cars because i'm sure that if you actually i'm sure someone from the car industry will probably write in and go well i think you'll find that the second generation ford focus was a heavily i'm not interested (laughs) in that i'm talking about cars there's even one on this list here's a clue if you're really nerdy there is a car on this list which took so long they had to facelift the concept car because it went out of date (laughs) that is how long we're talking here mainly supercars 
you must know a few gents. I know you two, like me, spend a lot of time on the internet. Yeah, well, I, that was going to be my opening gambit. That it tends to be the really high-end, really fast stuff because it's made out of unobtainium and the moment one component's not available, the whole thing's thrown mm. into disarray. And also, it's usually some sort of new and groundbreaking technology that they sort of guess at when they'll have it ready and then realise it's a bit harder than it actually is. So um, I think look, I'll kick off with an obvious one. I mean, a car that we still haven't driven, although if the internet's to be believed, a few customers are starting to take delivery. Aston Martin Valkyrie? Aston Martin's Formula One car for the road. That is a correct answer, of course, Jack. First revealed as a design model, a kind of you know static thing with no engine in it, in July 2016, if memory serves me. So since then, Aston Martin's gone through two CEOs. Uh, Adrian Newey, who you chaps obviously interviewed on a recent podcast, has left the project well, yeah, and it's still not He's finished. left the project to then become a competitor of his own project, which isn't out yet, in the RB17. <laughs> yeah, that'll be delayed as yeah, well. Yeah, the that'll competitor may come out before uh, the Valkyrie does. But uh, yeah, that's, that is an exceedingly obvious one. A, one, a car that we've been waiting for that <laughs> may just date itself. But uh, there is a, another one... In a similar vein, it's contemporary, the AMG One. Surely, you know, they went in and said, all right, we're going to put Lewis Hamilton's uh, championship winning F1 engine in the back of a car, a road car, and that'll be easy, won't it, lads? Yeah, we'll have that in no time. We're still yet to drive it. 2016 championship winning engine, yes. which is hilarious because at the time it was, you know, that that's the one we need to use, but that gives you an idea. We've of had the, a regulation change, so it's not even a relevant engine anymore. <laughs> I'll just jump in, chaps, and pick you out of your misery. That is, of course, a correct answer. The AMG one revealed by grinning mustachio Dr. Zetcher, the boss of Mercedes, in 2017. Um, as you rightly said, Jack, containing an engine that was taking Mercedes to all kinds of dominance in F1. And what's kind of hilarious is they're saying that they're going to build them and you know, end of this year and they'll start getting to customers early next year, just as Mercedes start losing in F1. I mean, haven't won a race all season, and now all of a sudden, finally, the car comes out to celebrate your dominance. I mean, that's that's so ironic, even Alanis Morissette wouldn't put yeah, it in. Yeah, tough, PR, tough <laughs> job for the PR team there as well. So we're one all. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, um, to veer off hypercars for a minute and go with everyone's um, favourite American car company, Tesla. Now, to be honest, I could take my pick from two or three here, but I think I'm going to go with the Cybertruck because it's the one that was launched with such fanfare and promise and however many hundreds of thousands of deposits they took. And it's still not here. Although there was a tweet from Musk yesterday, I think, very recently saying, oh yeah, yeah, it'll come next year. And we'll get the Mm. same tweet next year saying it's coming in 2024. Bit of a clue for Rowan there saying you could take your pick of Teslas. There is a rich seam of these things being delayed. Tends to be worth it when they arrive, but yeah, they um, they need to get a better calendar, don't they? Correct answer. The Tesla Cybertruck unveiled November 2019. Shortly afterwards, someone probably got sacked for saying that the windows were bulletproof. You might remember that infamously they tested this on stage and managed to smash both of them. Um, <laughs> but yes, this hugely angular triple motor, over a thousand horsepower truck. They've done viral stunts with it, like towing a Ford F-150 truck that was trying to drive in the opposite direction and got some Ford people very, very upset on the internet for all sorts of reasons that it wasn't a fair test. But the fundamental thing, Ford, Jack, you've driven it. They've got an electric pickup truck on the market. So is Rivian. I think Chevy are going to get there soon. And then Tesla, the Cybertruck, who was supposed to beat the whole old guard, 2023 at the earliest. What is taking so long? I mean, it's not as if it's, you know, they're trying to get the curves into the bodywork because it hasn't got any. I think they're basically realising that a stainless steel body is incredibly hard to make, which is probably why the new electric DeLorean recently announced has sidestepped the stainless steel body as well. Just a theory. What can I say? Um, I'm going to go with one uh, that did become a joke within the industry because it was the collaboration between America and Japan to make the the latest NSX because it was like, no, it's not quite right yet. It's not quite right. And they were, they were testing it in both Japan and America, but they were taking more time in America because it felt like just the development drivers wanted more and more time sitting in California uh, to test suspension geometry when in reality they're probably getting suntans. But I, that was a car that took six years, I think, to uh, come onto the market well, or maybe Japan more. Japan was 
Japan was probably trying to sharpen it up faster, sharper, more aggressive while it's going, yeah, yeah, I think a little bit softer, wider seats, you know. But also so they didn't even have in, a pandemic to, uh, to kind of blame for the like two, you losing two years. They were just very slow with it. Faster, sharper, more aggressive. I'm not aware of that Daft Punk song. Thanks for that one, Jack. <laughs> no, I think, Rowan, the, the disaster that the second-gen NSX, which I should just say, Honda NSX, a correct answer. Thank you. Ooh, two points to Rowan there. Yeah, the NSX, it's the worldwide disaster that it had to contend with. It wasn't a pandemic. It was a recession. If you actually remember back, I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who probably weren't even born. 2007, Honda said, we're going to do a new NSX. And at the time, they were saying it was going to be a front-engined V10. So a completely different type of car. Then they decided, no, let's put the engine in the middle. They were going to have a V6. Then they decided to turn the V6 round 90 degrees. Then they decided to turbocharge it. Uh, it needs, needs to be a hybrid as well, because at this point, that the hybrid Holy Trinity were coming on stream, and Honda wanted their car to be at the forefront of technology. But in the meantime, it meant that, yeah, a car that started in 2007, then became mid-engine, actually arrived in 2015. I mean, and it's now not even on sale, I don't think, in the UK. I think the Americans get an Acura NSX-R, but, um, or Type S, type, type S, yeah. Yeah, but but we don't. So was it all worth it? Certainly a technological masterclass from Honda, but you kind of don't hear about it these days. It might be the forgotten supercar. And for time. all those listeners who can't remember that financial crisis, strap in. There's another recession coming, so you can live through this one. <laughs> Yeah, which which Maybe, supercars will make it through exactly. this time? Place your bets. Yeah, there'll be a whole new delayed top nine within the matter of twenty four months. Mm. Um, hope the, Val- hope right. the Valkyrie's not on it. Right, final guess, Jack. Okay, so it's two two. Uh, a lot of pressure on this one. Um, uh, a couple of ideas actually. Um, I'm going to go with the Lexus LFA. Uh, yeah, I, I mean it was just such a such a passion project that. Uh, had cost so much and they never made a single pound on that car that it just went on and on until it was perfect and do you know what it pretty much was jack not only is that a correct answer but i feel like you should get bonus points because that is the car that i referenced earlier the lfa's concept car had to be facelifted that's how long it took okay so lexus said we are toyota we're going to build a v10 supercar to celebrate our v10 success in formula one despite the fact that as anyone who follows F1 knows, Toyota didn't have any success in Formula One. So this was a car <laughs> built to celebrate an F1 program that was rubbish and that they'd hemorrhage money on. They did a concept in 2005. Then they facelifted it in 2007. Then they did a roadster version of the concept in 2008. And the production car wasn't finished until 2011. I mean, this is a car that if it had been any older, it would have even gone out through showrooms. It would have come out and immediately been auctioned as a classic. <laughs> phenomenally silly gestation period but yeah they had to invent a carbon fiber weaving machine to knit the body together i mean that alone well worth it well done japan the undisputed masters have taken their time over it was Cup. worth the wait for that engine as well come on let's just let make that very yeah. clear yeah all joking aside the lfa one of the legends of our time and um would love to drive one one day but um maybe that'll take as long as it took Toyota to build them right final one I'm going to go with something... You've got to tie yeah, this up. well, there is a, a Tesla option, but I want to go for something a bit uh, a bit more modern that we're still waiting for. The Ineos Grenadier. That's been going on when they first painted it. Uh, Jim Radcliffe wanting to have his own new Defender, which was an old Defender. The new Defender took time coming out because of COVID, but we've got them and they're great. Uh, where's the Ineos? Because I feel like that could be, feel even more dated by the time that comes out. <laughs> Rowan, it's a classic case of, it's a great guess. It ticks all the boxes except being oh, on the list. I'm afraid it's an incorrect Jesus, answer. Right. Classic. But I will give you that. It is, yes, the, the chemicals magnate who decided that a second-hand defender wasn't good enough for him. I'm going to spend billions putting BMW engines in an all-new one and definitely building it in Britain, apart from, oh, no, wait, I'm not going to do that. But yeah, it is apparently coming. We've seen the finished car. I've seen the buttons inside it because it's going to be a touchscreen phobic car, which I quite like the sound of, actually. But um, I'll tell you what, we could have gone for if you wanted a sort of, you know, a mad British idea that's taking far too long. What about the new TVR? The Griffin? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. But although there was an, uh, another round of spec recently no 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 no. we are going to make it we've got money now we're going to make it and do three electric cars as well because yeah so you know announced that in 2015 
It's going to be 2015, then 2017, now a launch. I think what they're going to do is when they eventually launch it, I think it's going to be a time machine. And I think they're going to go back to 2015 and launch it immediately. And then we'll all forget that there was ever delay in the first place. That's clever. That is clever. I'm ashamed to say we did have that on the the, the cover of a Top Gear magazine under the headline. I think it was Here Come the Brits, but it should have had a little asterisk in, you know, seven to eight years time. Yeah, a very Um, long dot, dot, dot at the end of that. Yeah, but I'm yeah, afraid, yeah. Rowan, that with that final guess, it is three two to Jack. In your face, Hawkeye. Yeah, I can't do anything about that. Yeah. Just <laughs> another one. Lost. Now I'd love to say that we're keeping tally of uh, how we're doing in these quizzes, but we're not. So I'm just gonna make it up and say that I've probably won more than you. What do you reckon? Rowan tends to go for the more obscure guesses, I think we've learned. This is a man who's, you know, got his 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 Wikipedia of obscure cars is certainly um better read than than jack's top trump's that's brain. the thing we're here but, to yeah. inform and educate as long as i leave people googling afterwards uh it's worth it it's worth it i can uh, yeah we'll go and check out the rest of the list on topgear.com there's a load more delayed cars there including one by a company that's never even built a car but has built a load of smartphones so go and check those out and jump into the comments and shout oh, at the me apple like car Ryan i could have had that one. That oh god oh. <laughs> yeah this is just going to keep on running as i say there'll be a brand new top nine delayed cars Coming soon, I'd say. Mm. Anyway. All right. Cheers, Ollie. We'll see you next month. Thanks, gents. Cheerio. Okay, that's probably enough. Should we bring this Ferrari special over the finishing line, Ren? We don't want to bring up their reliability in F1 currently. So, yes, up to you. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Sharp. Um, All right. But before we go, uh, remember to check out topgear.com, of course, rolling car news, reviews, anything else that we can find on the internet. And email us at podcast at bbctopgearmagazine.com. Not going to lie. The response on the old email channel hasn't been. We got hot. one. We had. We've had one though, haven't we? Yeah, but that was from your mum, right? Oh yeah, She's yeah. No, what I wanted she, for dinner. Yeah, no, can... no, we did actually have one. So, so thank you for the people who have been hitting us up on the email. But we know yeah, emails are old school. You want to get us on social media, and we are across all of it. So we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and like we mentioned earlier, with a new viral sensation, thanks to the uh, SP3. Mm-hmm. TikTok. TikTok. We're yes. finally there. That's we are right. there lip syncing. We're not doing any of that stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah, all the TikTok. We, that is where you will see the latest cars first because we do get incredible access and we're going to be putting lots of stuff up there, mm-hmm. including those weird eyelids. That's right. Um, you, I think you mentioned YouTube, but I'll mention it again. We've got a load of new videos coming out um, related to this content we've been talking about. So a review of the Daytona SP3, um, Civic Type R, walk around new Civic Type R, and of course that Fiorano video featuring uh, Stato, Ollie Q, which is just... In a very great, small car. In yeah, a very, very, very small car. And of course... Um, make sure you get out and buy a copy of the magazine. This is a really, really special issue. Um, you'll see what I mean when you when you get the issue in your hands, but there's an amazing treatment on the front cover with gold foil. It's a real celebration. So get out there and get the mag. Yeah, and we'll be back with another one next month. All right, thanks for listening. Cheers, bye.